Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Welcome, everyone, to Ed's Up. Um, We are coming from Oxford, Mississippi and the University of Mississippi. And today you all are in for a treat. We have two of the hosts of the studio for Playful Inquiry. Susan Harris McKay and Matt Carlson are here. And we are excited to dive into a very playful conversation about their work. I'm just going to go ahead and start and have you all introduce yourselves. Um, Who wants to go first? I was going to say Matt does, but uh, I'm Susan, Susan Harris McKay. And let's see, I have been a teacher for a a long time. Um, I went into teaching when I got really excited um, in college, uh, kind of randomly, about the sort of new work coming out focused on writer's workshop opportunities for children to learn to write by writing, learn to write um, by having a lot of agency in developing their own voice. And I just had this inkling, even at my, you know, the ripe old age of, I don't know, 20 or something, <laughs> that, that that was, you know, one of the most important things that children could learn in school that was sort of a central to a sort of civic education to grow up knowing that um, your ideas and your words matter and that a public space is a space in which your participation is um, is expected and encouraged. So that got me started. Uh, and I taught primary school for a number of years. I moved here to Portland, Oregon and met up with a team that was developing this school called Opal School. Opal School was to be um, an elementary publicly funded charter school that was a program of the Portland Children's Museum that was sort of invested in this research question that had to do with what the implications for the research that was happening in Reggio Emilia might have for American public elementary school. And so I jumped into that project and was a part of that for... uh, 20 years. I was as excited about that project uh, as I was when I initially discovered this, uh, you know, these possibilities about writing and and supporting young children to learn how to write because of the Reggio, uh, the research in Reggio that had to do with the hundred languages, right? So expanding way beyond children's uh, need to, to write words to their need and their right to make marks, to explore and express their feelings and ideas and questions from from the moment that they were born, really. And Opal School was really a place that was really invested in in that research. Um, We served children, a small number of children from the ages of three to 11, with the real mission to provoke fresh ideas that concerned environments and experiences for learning that were focused on creativity and imagination and the wonder of learning. And so that meant that we served a growing number of educators um, who would come to Oval School to to learn about these, to to immerse themselves in the research that we were 
uh, involved with and and visit the school at the same time. And so that was a project that Matt was involved in too. And I think this is the appropriate time to turn over to him. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I'm Matt Carlson. Like Susan, I found myself really interested in education when I was in college. Um, we've had lots of conversations about teachers, about their journeys and, and what led them to education. And I find that it's split between folks who at, you know, six years old, they were like, I'm going to be a teacher. And they were clearly focused on that and kept that focus going all through their lives. And other folks who came to it um, as adults or, or in, in young adulthood. And uh, I was part of that latter group. Like Susan, I found myself really interested in education when I started thinking about it as a civic enterprise, as something where it was a, a way for people to think about their citizenship, to think about what groups of people can accomplish together, to think about how schools are a part of um, either <laughs> replicating and reinforcing the status quo or creating something new and uh, discovering new possibilities. And that led me into a path that had me working mostly in the upper elementary and middle school years, and then uh, ultimately shifting into thinking about what kinds of professional development needs are found in the field and how teachers are growing in their capacity as teachers and as uh, human beings who are spending their lives alongside younger human beings, which ultimately led me to Opal School. Um, I met Susan first uh, through a teacher research project that was organized by Ruth Shigori Hubbard and uh, Jill Ostro at Lewis and Clark College. And they brought together three educators in the greater Portland region, um, Susan and myself and a, a third colleague, to think about our work over the course of about a year. And we spent some time together and I thought, oh, this is somebody who I want to keep learning and growing with. And uh, Susan found Opal School. I started engaging with Opal School as a interested colleague on um, my uh, groups of, of older youth did some projects alongside uh, Susan's groups of younger youth. Uh, my children, my one of one of my children became uh, involved in Opal School as a as a student, and ultimately came to Opal School to work alongside Susan. Um, in part because in my work in professional development, I really strongly saw a need that that be site based. That people were really hungry to learn when they were immersed in a school that provided a source for a, a space to explore questions, um, not a space that was for replication, not a program or a binder that was meant to be taken away and then introduced without any kind of context shift in another space, but instead just a space for inquiry. And, uh, and so that's what I did alongside Susan at Opal School. And that's what we continue to do post Opal School. Uh, I don't think Susan mentioned that Opal School uh, died in the pandemic. It was closed by the board of directors. Um, it was part of a larger organization, which was the Portland Children's Museum, which was a 75-year-old children's museum, a 20-year-old school, 
and uh, the board of directors wasn't able to find their way to continue to navigate the um, choppy waters that we all found ourselves in during the pandemic. And, uh, and so it closed up. And Susan and I continue to do this work with educators who are seeking kind of greater possibility in their work, greater connection to children and their families and the world around us in all of its confusing, aggravating complexity and challenge. And uh, that's what we continue to do today. Wow. So it sounds like this has really been born kind of as a transition from Opal School. So can you share a little bit more about what you've brought from Opal School to the Center for Playful Inquiry and how you're able to serve your members? It sounds like this is really born out of your life's work. And I would love to hear more about it. And I know our listeners would as well. I think what comes to my mind first is the kind of problem space that we opened up with Opal School, which was, you know, had was born of this group of folks who uh, went from Portland to Reggio Emilia were incredibly inspired, as everyone I think who who travels there is, by the incredible thinking that is facilitated alongside very young children, between adults and children um, in those spaces, and really challenged and intrigued with this possibility of developing a space in Portland where we could serve children who were, you know, spend a much larger age range, grapple with the kind of systemic uh, expectations of the public school system, and make sense of all of these things together, right? So because we weren't involved in any kind of replication or implementation of any anybody else's program or approach, uh, and we're really invested in developing our own approach through a process of inquiry and research. We also learned that as we were hosting increasing amounts of professional development and inviting more and more adults to come visit our work at Opal and get in conversation with us there, we learned a lot about what about the value of supporting adults to engage in their own process of inquiry so that they we weren't offering any kind of replicable, implementable uh curriculum or structure. We were inviting folks to come into conversation with us, ask their own questions that were steeped in their own background and and culture and uh, experience um, and setting and make sense of it right together. And so when the school closed, we were, I think, really well positioned to be able to continue that conversation because in so many ways that offering that opening to to get into conversation about approaches that are situated in a strong image of the child that about play about inquiry about creativity imagination democracy those conversations aren't reliant on a specific setting right and there and our work benefits from the idea that there is some kind of solution or replicability out there you know, learning how to put that down and turn towards ourselves and our colleagues and good other sources and research and talk together and make sense together of what we envision to be an education that is intended to help human beings 
flourish and find joy and work through complexity and conflict and create the world that we all want to live in together. I think when when I listen to Susan say that, it's worth calling out that those are the qualities of playful inquiry. So playful inquiry isn't something that we want to do to children or even something that we are just creating the space for children to do. It's a space for learning and creating and possibility. So what I think that we found at Opal School is the kind of learning that we were doing with our colleagues at Opal School, the staff of Opal School, had all of these dimensions of playful inquiry, that that was, that was the space where this kind of, of um, pedagogical approach could thrive, this kind of way of, of living in questions, this way of creating something that hadn't yet existed and only existed because this particular group of people came together in this particular place at this particular time and organized around beliefs and goals. That's what came about. And so in creating this this center for playful inquiry and what we call the, the studio for playful inquiry, it's trying to create that space for educators from all around the world to come together, to be vulnerable with each other, to share what they are noticing, what they're wondering about in their practice and their provisional thinking about their work and to um, see what happens when those ideas collide with each other, much like what happens when a group of children walk into a space, a group of families walk into a space, and all of those ideas and all of those identities collide with each other and something is created that never could have been created otherwise. Sounds magical. So can you walk through what it would be like as, let's say I'm an educator and I want to do a story workshop or a studio. I'd love to hear kind of, we've heard it a little in theory and certainly I'm familiar with Reggio. I want us to get back for our listeners who maybe aren't to kind of hear a little bit more about that. But what would it look like if I said, okay, I would like to engage in this process? Well, you mentioned a couple of things. Um, one of them uh, you mentioned is is a story workshop which is a structure that we researched and developed at Opal School, uh, a literacy, early literacy structure that came out of a question, not surprisingly, I suppose, that was offered at the beginning of a school year by our director, Judy Graves, at the time, and the founder of the school, who threw out this opportunity invitation for the teachers um, to research this question about the relationship between literacy and the arts. And this was something that just, I was so excited to, uh, an idea I was so excited to play with. And I was going to have the opportunity to work with a group of first graders who had been involved in their kindergarten class in kind of a writer's workshop. And I wanted to have all of us, children and teachers, explore this big question. You know, what if we're reliant on the arts or more engaged with the arts and our literacy practices? So I changed the name to Story Workshop and it stuck. And it became this long-term research project that ultimately resulted in a book 
it's called Story Workshop, New Possibilities for Young Writers, was published by Heinemann in 2021, right at the same moment <laughs> that Hopeful School was being closed, or the Children's Museum was being closed and taking over with it by the board. So that was nice. And it was lucky, I think, it, we had a chance to kind of capture a pretty formal piece of research that uh, we had developed over a long period of time at the school. And it really is a, a structure that supports this approach of playful inquiry by inviting children to learn to write alongside the use of many different materials and play. Um, we talk about playful literacy being an approach that involves lots of meaning making, sharing stories, time to play, and, uh, and ample use of the arts. And so the the book and the structure kind of is what resulted from a long exploration of opportunities in the preschool through grade two classrooms. So the studio for playful inquiry is a place for adults who are interested in something like story workshop or other sort of structures that support playful inquiry to come together and respond in all kinds of ways to provocations, different kinds of texts. You know, this summer we're offering this kind of summer long program the overarching theme is awe and wonder. It was inspired by new research by Dr. I think it's Dr. Keltner, who wrote a book called Awe that came out in the spring, uh, and Catherine May, uh, who wrote a book called Enchantment. We're reading those two texts side by side and then have some live interviews. We talked to Sam Sheltain um, last week and a colleague from Sydney, Australia, Claire Britt, we'll talk to later in August. Some art workshops with uh, an artist colleague of ours and educators from all over the world in, involved in both synchronous and asynchronous engagement with each other. In fact, when we hang up this call, we'll hop on a live meetup with those who choose to come and, uh, and talk about the provocations and invitations that are in the studio this week. It's worth calling out that a studio is a space for experimentation, for getting your hands on different materials and seeing where it's created, for working alongside other people who are also following similar paths to you, but of course different based on the experiences that they've had and based on, on their own set of values and curiosity. And for um, that kind of cross influences to occur, that kind of sense of mutual concern for each other, for each other's well-being, for each other's flourishing, as Susan said. And so Story Workshop is about orientation towards emergent literacy. And most of the adult professionals that we are working with are not um, just figuring out how to uh, engage in the early stages of literacy. They're figuring out something else. But what we find is that focus on meaning making, that focus on play, that focus on the arts, that focus on sharing and listening and conversation is supportive of those uh, educational professionals' paths just as much so as it is for three-year-olds. But of course, the way the three-year-olds do it, it looks different than the way that 33 or 63-year-olds do that that same play. I'm so glad that you mentioned enchantment and awe. And I think um, when you discuss the fact that whether you're 33 or 63 or three, we all need to engage in play. It's, I believe, part of our uh, 
one of our basic needs. And I think that I'm, I'm actually seeing out in the field parents and educators, I feel like for some reason I'm seeing there's even more of a need. Um, I'll put out tinkering materials and see people just kind of flock to them. And, and I don't know what that says. Uh, maybe we're just all busy, but watching, you know, whether it's a grandparent or a child, um, it's all a human need. We all, I think, have that desire. And I, I don't know if you're seeing this, but I do think that it can help with some of the burnout that we may face because we are doing, you know, more linear tasks that maybe don't inspire as much awe in us. So I'm love to hear that you're doing this. I also saw that you're coaching adults. Is that a separate kind of opportunity? I want to make sure that we are directing our listeners to all of these amazing resources and we will have your website information up. Yeah, we find that, or I ha- I guess I have found that making the opportunity available for folks to have individual conversation just opens another kind of um, uh, system of support for, I mean, I think as you're saying, for adults who are feeling demoralized, who are feeling burnt out, who are feeling lost, right? In in the amount of change that we're experiencing right now, the the kind of political climate that teachers are enduring right now, not just in the United States, but everywhere, uh, the kind of collapse that the childcare system is undergoing, those are all those kind of systemic issues are taking a huge toll on the adults who, you know, entered this profession with so much hope and so much love for for other human beings, for the possibilities of the future. And it's really hard right now not to feel lost. You know, the loss of our school was an incredibly difficult, traumatic event for us, um, a real loss, a real heartbreak. So as part of my transition through that kind of grief, I went through a coaching certification program and feel as though it's a it's one aspect that I think teachers don't often offer themselves um, an opportunity to have that kind of individualized moment to to think about what they um, what brings them the most joy and the most fulfillment, and then think about ways and strategies to bring that those parts of themselves alive in the work. Knowing that if we don't do that for ourselves, then there's just no possible way that we can can bring that kind of opportunity and experience and hope and joy and love to, to children. We have to, as adults, value, create for ourselves opportunities to value our own experience, our own perspective, our own story. And I think when you, when you talk about people flocking to those materials, putting their hands on things, uh, you know, wanting to make meaning of the the experiences that we're having right now. We all need that. Children need it too. And I think the more that we offer that, those opportunities to ourselves, the more we understand how vital they are for children. And the more, I think, apt we are to insist that those experiences exist in the classroom or whatever space that we we are uh, happen to be with children. And not because they will solve the climate catastrophe and not because they will change the the economic disaster of childcare today and in much of the world and not because 
they're going to resolve all of these things, but rather instead because they help us participate and connect with the world in all of its challenges and all of the grief that we carry with it and to see ourselves and to see other people in that space, in that complicated, messy space. And I think that's why you see folks flocking to it and great that you're creating those experiences and great that you're noticing how hungry people are to connect in those experiences and great that you're wondering about why it is that right now people seem even more hungry for that than at other points in your career. Well, thank you. You all have such a hopeful message and so much to share. I wish we could extend this, but we can. We can continue this conversation. I know you have a wonderful virtual space that um, we will direct our listeners to. And also, we'd love to put a link to the book that you mentioned um, about the story workshop and any other resources um, that you'd like to share. Um, Certainly, we've enjoyed this conversation and we need more of this available for the adults who love children and for the professionals who are looking for these experiences. So thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else I neglected to talk to you about that you want to share? I don't think so. I really, I'm, I know we both really appreciate your efforts to amplify the work that people need right now. So thank you. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Kenya, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity. 